0: Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Working on me. You guys don't know this song. It's a great song that if you have kids to teach your kids. I don't remember that. How's the verse go? The really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me yet. I'm an unfinished part. He loves me as I am, and he helps me when I pray. Remember, he's the potter, I'm the clay. Boom, boom, oh, and he's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars, how loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. Hey, if you haven't heard that one, it's a fun one to learn to play with your children. Our call to worship today, uh, and I bring this up because of what we're talking about today. Uh, we're going to be talking about sanctification. Uh, and it's a big word, but it is a Bible word. And we're going to talk about what God does in our life. Uh, As we go through the call to worship today, we're going to actually be looking at it again. Uh, It was written by David when David found himself in some pretty bad sins in his life and he wanted God to clean him up. How many of you want God to clean you up? I do. You know, that's the work that only God can do. So anyway, kind of excited to get to my sermon. So why don't we just skip everything else and just let me start preaching right now. But Psalm 51 says this: Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. You ever feel like that? Kind of like I know what I am. I don't want to be this. Help me, Lord. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou might be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part shalt thou make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken, may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew in me a right spirit. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. It's the Holy Spirit within us that purifies and cleanses us. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shall thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks unto thine altar. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you do not leave us the way that we were when we came to you, but... You are constantly changing us and making us into something else. It's hard to see the progression of these things uh, as they happen, as it is to see the growth even of our children, unless we're away from them for a long time. I pray today, Lord, that we would see your hand at work in our lives and that you would give us patience. And we would long for your word that it might do in us what only it can do. Help us Lord Jesus as we come before you asking forgiveness for our sins and uh, asking you to help us in our many needs that we have. Be with us today Lord and just wash us and cleanse us by our presence in your spirit. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said Praise Father Son and Holy And standing for just a little bit, I'm going to read three verses of Psalm 141. My sermon title today is called, A Psalm of Sanctification. And um, I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 of Psalm 141. Psalm 141, beginning in verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. And keep the door of my lips. Incline not my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity, and let me not eat of their dainties. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness, and let him reprove me, it shall be an excellent oil, which shall not break my head, for yet my prayer also shall be in there calamities. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of it. Lord, it is living. Although this was written thousands of years ago for your people as they uh, lived in their promised land, written by King David, it is for us today and I pray that you would speak to our hearts about the message that you would have us learn from it today. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Dr. Eric Jalamar East studied the Bible and medicine for eight years after God called him to be a missionary. He had apprenticed as a blacksmith and worked in the boiler rooms of steamships in the North Atlantic and on locomotives on the railroads of Kansas and Oregon. As a young immigrant to America, he was confronted by his sins at a revival meeting. And there he confessed his sins and made his profession of faith in the grace of God. And his heart was changed. Isn't that an amazing thing that God does? Everybody say God changes people's hearts. I hadn't planned on sharing this story, but he tells a story of his sister who was a Christian. He was kind of a young, uh, roughneck kid uh, who wanted to run away from home, and he ends up going away from home. and He's in the boiler rooms of these ships, and he's kind of a rough character. But he said he remembers his sister coming to him one day and pulling out this brooch that was made of gold that she had gotten somewhere uh, that was like uh, passed down through the family. And she said, you know what I'm going to do with this? He said, I'm going to give it to the church so that they can reach out to the lost in foreign lands and he i remember as i read the story he thought to himself he said what a terrible waste <laughs> that's going to be i can't believe my sister just going to give this brooch away and we find out later in his story that he came to do the he came he gave his whole life to go do what his sister was wanting to give her brooch away to she god changed his heart what once was foolishness to him or something that he didn't want to be a part of, uh, ended up becoming his life's passion. Soon after he found uh, that God had given him a new heart, his, he could not resist the call of God to serve the heathen. He, he told the mission board, he said, you know, I tried for years to, to sort of run from this, but I realized my life wasn't my own anymore. After all his years of prayer and preparation, he finally set out on an arduous, several months-long journey around the world to serve as a medical missionary among the Chin people in the foothills of the Himalayas. Less than two months after he had finally arrived, I mean, imagine, guys, he worked for eight years to get the schooling. It takes him months to get around the world, Sister Jackie, and in only two months, he gets so sick he has to leave. Wouldn't that be kind of sad for you? You know, you're like, you're prepared for years and years with all this hope, and then you're sick and you gotta leave. So he barely didn't live. He makes it all the way back to America on a ship and uh, has a surgery which almost kills him. And at the same time, while he's having an appendicitis surgery, he has malaria. Pretty rough, right? But, as he is recovering from his surgery, he's thinking, how can I get back to Burma? And how can I get people to help me to meet the needs of the people there? He's thinking about that while he has malaria and while he's recovering from appendicitis. On May the 23rd, 1903, a church in Buffalo, New York, agreed to hear him talk. He had his surgery in New York City. And in nearby Buffalo, some church was willing to hear what he had to say. He spoke to a riveted crowd at a local church where he was doing his best to raise money for a 20-bed a hospital he had envisioned on building one day in these jungles of a faraway land where he had only spent just a little while. A reporter happened to be on hand from the local newspaper and recorded these words. And I found this article on newspapers.com. Well, actually, Elizabeth found it on newspapers.com, I think. Um, And so he's talking about the Chin people and what a terrible situation he encountered when he came there. He said, the Chin people of Burma, they never wash. They have never seen soap until they saw me use it. One young woman washed herself and then she looked into the glass and she looked at her skin and she said... Oh my, I'm white. He said that they were so crusted in dirt that you could not uh, tell what color they were or whatever. All of them, all these people. He then said that he began washing their babies. And you know, they would, you know, go from, have you ever seen that story, Harry the Dirty Dog, you know? Uh, And they'd wash their babies and then he would hand the babies back to them and they would be like, oh my goodness, wow, this is amazing. As he washed this one baby, uh, the mother looked at him and said, wash me too. I want to get cleaned up too. I want to be clean like this little baby. His speaking style was described by the reporter as forceful and engaging, and he continued on. He says, you ask me what we have there in Burma, and I say, we have nothing. Nothing but trouble, nothing but sickness, nothing but darkness, not even an ox cart or a convenience of any sort. I'm going to take back some soap with me that they gave me in Iowa, but I need even more soap. Even if I have to pay the freight myself, cleanliness must go with godliness. Now, do you know anything about medicine? Uh, what's the first thing they do when you cut yourself and you go in the hospital and your cut is hurt? What do they do, guys? They wash it out and you're like, hey, lady, watch out. And she's like scrubbing it and scrubbing it, and, you know, and you're like going, hey, this, this really hurts. You're like, oh, we got to get it all out, you know. Why? Well, because they know you got to get it out. You have to clean. Cleanliness is very, very important. Jalimar had come all the way around the world to bring the good news of the gospel and he learned that as powerful as the Spirit of God was to change their hearts and His medicine was to cure their many ills, they still needed cleaned up. And they needed some soap and water to get that done. Jesus proclaimed to the Pharisees, that they were whitewashed graves, who on the outside seemed white and clean, but on the inside they were filled with rottenness and dead men's bones. They had corruption and filth inside of them. He told them to clean the cup properly, you must begin what? Cleaning the inside of it, and by cleaning the inside, then the outside will be clean. Now, the deal is, is today, uh, many people go, you know, God, uh, looks on the heart, man looks on the outside, God says to clean the heart. But if you remember in this story, he said, clean the inside that the what might be clean? That the, God wants to clean us inside and out. It's not that the outside cleaning up by God isn't important. It's that it's not first. Do you guys understand the difference? You cannot clean a man from the outside in, from sin. He must be cleaned from the inside out. But don't miss it because that's really what the point of Psalm 141 is. We're going to talk about the cleaning on the outside. God's redeeming power gives us new hearts. He gives us new insides, but as it does, our outside, the lives we live, get cleaned up from the filth of sin as well. It doesn't happen the other way around. This is how we think it should work, but it doesn't because it cannot. Everybody say, it doesn't because it cannot. Man cannot clean himself. We must look up to our great physician like this woman did to Dr. East and say, wash me too. Wash me too. This washing, this cleansing is called sanctification. Psalm 141 is a psalm of sanctification. This is a song we all need to hear and learn for ourselves so that we too can sing it. Psalm 141 is... As an inspired heading, we know that it was written by David. We're winding down the Psalms. We just, after this, we'll have eight more to go. And David uh, is still writing some of these. He wrote 75 of the 150. And we still got a few more to go that David has written. Sin is often compared to dirt, to filth, to crimson red stains that need to be cleaned by God. Sin is twofold. Everybody say, sin is twofold. Sin is, and the Bible, how many of you learned a catechism? I know some of my kids did. I know some of yours did. What is sin? Yes, yeah, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. What that means is sin is not doing what God says that we are to do and also doing the things he expressly forbids us to do, right? Don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't murder. When we do those things that God says not to do, we sin. But there's plenty of things the Bible tells us to do. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Honor your father And your mother. These are things God's word says to do. We sin when we do not do what God's word says we are to do, and we sin when we violate His express commands not to do something. The author of the psalm was a man laden with sins. Publicly, it was known that he committed adultery, he was responsible for the murder. Of the husband, he conspired and even had other people's hands covered in his own blood as he convinced his uh, general to put her husband up at the head of the battle so that he would be killed. Took planning. He refused to deal with the sins of his children. One who had raped his daughter, and not doing this caused one brother to kill another brother. And then when the brother who did what needed to be done, Absalom, his heart even goes bad, he starts a rebellion. This, is a, this man is a mess, guys. A guy who will not deal with what needs to be done, who sinned, who had trouble, but yet he was still a man that God loved. David's open and public prayer for his adultery and murder is what was our call to worship from Psalm 51. We heard it here fully. uh, And I wanted to point it out because it looks a great deal like David wrote Psalm 51 and he wrote Psalm 141. And you're going to see several of the same elements that the Holy Spirit inspired him to use that talk about sanctification. So here we have in verse 6 of Psalm 51, I'm just going to look at it quickly. If you want to later compare 141 to 51, you're going to see a lot of elements very similar. Behold, you desire truth in the inward. Everybody say the inward. Right? What David understood is that that why we do what we do is just as important as what we do. One is inside and the other is outside. Remember Ananias and Sapphira? They were generous. They gave a lot of money in the offering, but God killed them. Why? Because they did it because they wanted to be honored. They, and they lied about what they did. See, they did something good. They gave to God, but they did it for the wrong reason. They did it in a sinful way. Thou our truth in the inward parts, in the heart, in our desires, in the hidden parts Shall thou make me to know wisdom. David understood that in order for a man to, to really have his life cleaned up, then his desires need to change. And this is what we don't like to do. We like to build bars and walls around us to keep us from what we want to do, and we like to feel good that we don't do them. But the problem is, is that when a man wants to do it anyway, it's the same thing. He is just as filthy with the sin. You go, well, that doesn't sound fair. And I'm not trying to say if you want to, you know, if you want to kill somebody, you should go ahead and kill him. That's not what I'm saying. But the deal is Jesus tells us that when a man wants to kill his brother in his heart and he just doesn't because the law won't let him, that doesn't make him uh, clean from the sin of murder. He says here in 51.7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. David is saying, clean me inside and clean me how? Outside. Make me, everybody say, make me. Verse eight, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you've broken may rejoice. He's saying, Lord, you hurt me, but you hurt me because you love me. You know, when the lady comes and she's uh, digging in the brush into your arm, you know, before they put stitches in, what is that? Is that love? Yeah, it is. Because if they don't do it and they sew the dirt up in there, what's going to happen? It's going to fester and there's going to be infection and it's going to be hard. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones that thou broken may rejoice. He understands that sanctification is often painful. Hide thy face from my sins, blot out my iniquities, create in me a clean heart. He's saying in order for me to have a clean life, I need to have a clean heart. And this is the way it is. Some of you may go, well, I have good intentions, but I do bad. Well, that's different. Cast me not away from thy presence, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. David understood that it was the Spirit of God that sanctified him. It was not self-discipline. I'm not saying we shouldn't have self-discipline. You just need to understand its limits. There are some tigers you cannot cage. And sin is one of them. You cannot lock it in a cage and let it live inside of you and think it ain't going to get out. It will. What you got to do is you got to go, oh God, you got to deal with this tiger that's in this cage because it wants to do all of these things. You know, Lord. That's what coming to God and having faith is all about. Faith that says, hey, you know what? I can't do right. I can't live right. I can't be clean. Lord, clean me. Right, like that woman said to Doctor East, "Wash me, Lord." Like Paul, like remember what Peter said. He's like, "Hey, Peter's like, oh, we can't." He said, "If I don't wash you, you ain't making it." He, oh, well, wash me all then, right, right. If you go, and I'm gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to go through Psalm 51, but you'll see that all of this as we go through Psalm 51 are these same things that we're going to be seeing here in Psalm 141. As we move through 141, you'll see that sanctification is the work of God. We can be used in it, but the burden of its success is not a human burden, just like salvation, right? Can you save anybody? Nope. Can you save your children, Christina? Nope. But you know what you can do? You can speak the word of God to them. You can bring them to church. You can have them be part, you know, baptized into the covenant of the church. They can receive those blessings. But can you save them? Can you change their hearts? You cannot. And so what that should make a parent do, instead of being mad, well, well, dad got it. They're not everything they need to be. What's wrong? Or, or, or more likely, man, I'm such a failure. I mean, if if I really did a good job, they'd really love God. If I really did a good job, they wouldn't be sinners. If I was really a good parent, then, then they wouldn't run off and do the dumb thing they did. That's not how it works either. Their sanctification is not your burden, it's your work. Okay? Just like salvation. So what do we do, Jonathan? If we go out and we spread the word of God and we speak to people, is it up to us to save them? No, what we do is we speak the word. We say, do you know that Jesus Christ is the king of glory? That his kingdom has come and that you too can have. And we tell people that now, whether they have good soil and whether the seed germinates or whether it grows, it's not up to us and it's out of our control. One plants, another waters, but who? But God gives the increase in the same way sanctification works. We discipline them, we bring them to church, we spank them, we, 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 we go, oh, you know, oh, they're crying, well, we're reminded the proverb says it ain't going to kill them, right? In fact, the father that doesn't apply the rod of the child that, that it does not disciplined is not loved because... Love does those things. But is it a guarantee that if you do those things, that their life will be changed from the inside? Everybody say, no, it's not. Whose work is that? Okay, who can change a sinner's heart, Valiant? The Holy Spirit alone, right? Sanctification is the work of God. We can be used in it, but the burden of its success is not a human burden. Just like salvation, we cannot save people or keep them from being saved. You know, I used to worry about keeping people from being saved, Tony. I used to worry that, you know what, maybe I'm not doing it right. Maybe I'm not saying it right. Maybe I'm not a good enough example. Maybe I go and I try to preach the gospel and they look at him and they say, look at that fat boy. Uh, look at how stupid he is or, or look at whatever. And, and I was like, well, maybe I'll do it wrong. And the Lord is just like, I said, go. I said to do these things. It's not up to you. You you can't keep people out of heaven because you're too stupid to do it right. In fact, he said, you know, there's a bunch of heathens out there preaching Christ for their own benefit. Some of them to try to make money. Some of them to take advantage of people. What did Paul say about that? He said, nevertheless, Christ is preached. What's he saying? The word of God will not return void. And even when the likes of these bunch of yahoos out here are yapping and flapping their nonsense about what God isn't actually saying, every now and then they say what he is saying and God even uses them. Sanctifications means to make something holy or clean. More literally, it means to set something apart to God. Imagine you had a pair of very nice shoes and you only wore them to church. You keep them clean and you never wear them anywhere else. The shoes are sanctified. They are set apart for what? For wearing to church. My wife is set apart. She is sanctified to me. She is my wife. She's not anybody else's wife. She's mine. We are set apart from the world and from sinful practices unto God—that's what being sanctified means. Now, this is what that means. So, but there's one more thing we need to understand to get this right. Okay, so I'm going to try to teach you something that should be a part of your uh, biblical education. Okay, everybody, say the already and the not yet. Everybody say the already. And not yet. Now I may ask you right now: Are you saved? That's a terminology. Yes, I'm saved, but but you're not. You're still living in the world. You're still right here. You're still under the limitations of all that's around. You're not saved. We will truly be saved when when we're in when we're in heaven. We'll be set free from this body of flesh and and from uh, sickness and from uh, the Uh, violence of of men that is all around us, the exploitation of our our government or whatever it is. In one sense, we are, in, in another sense, we are not. Do you understand what that means? So in the sanctification, the already and the not works like this. When God saves a person, he says he or she is holy. There is a, a place in heaven being prepared for them. In fact, they right now are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Already. Everybody say, already. But how many of you go, well, I, I, I'm not really sitting in heaven. I'm really kind of like sitting right here. Say, not yet. Yeah. You know, maybe if you're in Los Angeles sitting in four hours of traffic, maybe it's more, or, or maybe if you're, you know, sitting down at the Social Security office and for five hours waiting to get a form filled out so you can get a you know your card fixed or whatever it is you go this don't feel like heaven right laying under your hot water tank and and you know uh, rust is flying in your eye I know you can't get under a hot water tank but you understand what I'm saying you're putting a transmission on, you know what I'm saying, and it's the middle of cold. And your fingers are freezing, and 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 stuff's falling out of the engine into your eye and into your mouth, and you go, this don't feel like heaven. Lord, save me. And he's like, well, you already are saved. Yeah, yeah. There's the already. Yes, I am saved. Yes, my future is set, and all of that, but not yet. But he say, but not yet. Sanctification is like that. So I want everyone in here who has faith in Christ to say, I am holy. holy. Now this part one, the already, the I am holy, what's funny about it, Tony, this is the hardest part to believe. You know, how many need convinced that the not yet is there? (laughs) I don't need a lot of convincing about that. But the already, like, you know, uh, Stephen, you're holy and you're like, I don't think you know me that well, (laughs) you know. Part two is usually easier to believe, but not necessarily easier to practice. Part two is the not yet. We are not yet holy. We are not yet clean. We are not yet completely set apart unto God. If you had a big fight on the way to church today, you know it, not already yet. We sin, we want to sin, we fail, we fall short of the glory of God. To sum it up, these two things are not in conflict. It is true that we are the same time holy and sanctified and set apart unto God, and we are not. God's reality for us is that our salvation is complete. Jesus died once and for all. Heaven will be our home. Because of what he has done, at the same time, we live in our bodies, which can and do sin. When we sin, God's grace covers our sins. Paul, uh, the apostle does a whole thing about this in Romans, and he's trying to explain to them what it is. The just live by faith. And he said, and, and he, he says, I know you have trouble with this because you're sinners. And he says, but where sin abounds, what? Grace abounds more. And he understood the temptation. He said, So, since where sin abounds, grace abounds more. Maybe you should sin more. All right? I mean, wouldn't this be a logical conclusion? Like, how many we want more grace? Well, the way you get more grace, Sister Joy, is B is to sin more. Uh, Well, I want more grace, so I'm just gonna sin like a wild man. What does Paul say about that? Everybody say, God forbid. You see, because there's two things going on here: there's the already, and the not yet. Where sin abounded, grace abounded more. So should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Everybody say, God forbid! How can we who have been, uh, who are dead to sin, live any longer therein? Why do we willingly return to our former taskmaster? You know, imagine, you know, we all like to watch movies. You know, they set them free. They go and they save the girl and, and she was locked up. And then she's like, you know, I think I want to go and, and be in a slavery again. Like that, that's kind of anticlimactic, right? You know, they got her locked up. They stole her you know, this movie. We went to see this movie, The Sound of Freedom. Imagine if what was next was after they delivered the children from human trafficking, they got to thinking, you know, I think, I think we just want to go back. It wasn't that bad. You would kind of like, who would want to see a movie like that? You're like, that's, wow. But the truth is, that is how we live. We've been set free from sin, and yet we willingly make ourselves slaves to sin. You see, we will fully be redeemed in heaven once we shed the mortal bodies and get our glorified ones. But until then, we war against the old man, the flesh, the flesh. And as we live our lives on earth, we need God's sanctifying power to help us live as though we already are redeemed and in heaven. Our goal is not perfection or to somehow earn our salvation. It is out of gratitude to God and his laws that we desire to begin living now the way we live in eternity. I like to put it this way. You know, does anyone know anyone that's sweet and kind and forgiving? Does anybody know anybody like that? Who would love you no matter kind of pretty much what you did? Does anybody know anybody like that? There are some people like that. And you know, if you know, you go, you know what? I know they're like that. Okay, Caitlin raised her hand. She knows somebody like that. And what if you said to yourself, you know, I know they're going to forgive me, so I'm just going to treat them like trash. (laughs) I mean, they're going to forgive me, right? I mean, they're good like that. So I'm going to exploit that. Is that how we should treat God? Everybody say, God forbid. When we live in sin here on earth, we will still reap earthly consequences. We're not banished from heaven, but we do presume upon the goodness of God like ungrateful children. And we act in a way that we should be ashamed of. The redeemed heart's prayer is for God to help us right now, live under his laws and in his love right now. Everybody say right now. You're like, wow, Mark, you've been preaching like, for a long time and you haven't even got to verse one. Well, it's not that long of a psalm. Verse one, Lord, I cry unto thee, make haste unto me, give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. David begins the song addressing the Lord, asking him for quick help. Oh Lord, I cry unto you, make haste, hurry to me, hear my voice. Does God need to hurry? Everybody say, God doesn't need to hurry. (laughs) But you know, he doesn't mind if we pray like that. He loves us. He understands. It's okay to talk to God like we talk. Obviously, God cannot or does not need to hurry. He's right here already, right? But often we feel the urgent need for God, and we ask him to act quickly, to respond to us. It's not out of line to do that. Oh, God, hear me, Lord. That's what David's doing here. God's like, obviously, I hear you. I'm God. I'm everywhere all the time. Obviously, I don't need to be in a rush. I'm already here. But does he chide David? No. He lets David do what he lets us do as well. Speak openly to God from our hearts and let our emotions freely commune with him. He will hurry to you and he will hear you. The Bible says when we call, what's he do? He... He answers, verse 2, Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. David wanted his prayers to be a pleasure to God, something good and acceptable to him. You know, when they offered up a lamb, it had to be inspected. And God would either accept it or reject it based on the quality of it. And David was seeing this in his life, that when we come to God and we pray to God, we should not come with filthy hands. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't come for forgiveness. What I'm talking about is David cared how he lived in his body and his mind, and he cared how he lived even in his heart, and he wanted his prayers to be beautiful to God. God. How many of you find it beautiful if your children just disobey, 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 treat you terrible, and then they get in trouble and then they want your help? How many feel real good about that? A lot of our kids aren't old enough to find out about that, for us to find out about it yet. But let me tell you, David is right to know this is not like a happy situation. Yeah, God still saves us. He still helps us. But David wanted what? He wanted to do his best, Sister Joy, to live in a way that where he could feel good about coming to God. Now, you might go, well, what's that all about? It's human. Folks, you know, we won't even pray. I mean, guys, how many of you have done things and you almost feel like you shouldn't even pray because you don't deserve God to deliver you from it because you got yourself into trouble to begin with? Come on. Well, I deserve it, and I did wrong, and I mean, what am I going to do? Go ask God to get me out of this? I mean, I, it was me, it was me, it was me. Now, see, that's where the accuser of our brethren comes in, and he says, don't come to God. Don't waste your time. He doesn't want to hear you, but that's not what we're focusing on. David is saying, when I come, I want to feel good. I want to feel like I've at least tried my best. And, and you know what David came to realize, Titus? He came to realize that on his own, he couldn't do that. He's saying, God, would you you be kind enough to help me to behave in such a way that I can even feel good about the prayers I offer you? It seems that he ties the life that he lives with this sentiment. Truth is, when we wantonly walk in sin, we do well to be wary of God's help. When trouble comes, David wanted God to do in him what only God can do. And I'll ask it again, who can change a sinner's heart? Everybody say, the Holy Spirit alone. Paul told the Hebrews that we should come boldly to the throne of grace. When we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, but we often find it hard to do because we feel we deserve God's punishment, God's wrath, not his deliverance, and so we don't even pray. We hear our accuser rightfully accusing us. I mean, when the devil comes and said, you deserve it, what are you going to say? No, I don't. He rightly accuses us, telling us we should not call on the Lord. Now, this is, he rightly accuses us, but when he tells us not to call on the Lord, he ain't right about that. Because what does is, what is God say? If, if you will humble yourself, if you confess your sin, there's no limit to that. Just keep coming. But the devil plays on our emotions. He plays on our insecurities. He plays on our false image of God. The Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. The Bible tells us that there's no limit to his goodness and his love and his grace. He is full of mercy. The devil says, no, no, no. He's more like the people around you. They get done with you and God's done with you and, and what bad has happened in your life is probably your own doing. See, that's where the devil turns the corner on us. That's why sin gives place to him because when we sin, Jeff, you know what happens? We start listening to the devil because he starts telling us the truth. You know, you're a sinner and you did wrong and God's gonna judge you and, and all this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he lies. You know, he, it's like he got, Jackie, he got Eve to talk to him. Would God tell you, you know, hey, you know, we're just talking here. I mean, hey, <laughs> he got her talking. Sometimes we get to talking to the devil because he's telling us the truth. I don't want him, I don't want him to have a reason to come to me and, 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 and work on me like this. But the deal is, is when we sin, we give place to the devil. We've sowed our sins. We're reaping them and we should not seek God's help. He leans into our ear and speaks. He's right that we deserve what comes to us when we live in sin after having been delivered from it, but he errs and he knows it when he says God does not want to hear our prayers. God always wants to hear them. Where sin abounds, everybody say grace abounds more. At the same time, There is the already, there's still the not yet. We are not to sin more, to get more of God's good grace and forgiveness. Quite the contrary, it should inspire us to live lives of holiness and gratitude. And this is what David begins to pray in verse 3. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. You read the book of James. You know what James says? It says, a man who does not offend and who doesn't sin with his mouth is a man who probably isn't doing a whole lot of sinning. <laughs> so much sin happens with our mouth. The way we talk to each other, the way we talk about each other, the way that we foolishly charge God and all of the things that we do. Our mouth is a powerful force for life and death and sin. And so what does David start with? Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. How many of you would all the strife strife that goes on in your house, would it cease if our mouths were kept by God in every word? He made us say the right words. Would you guys ever have fights? Nope, you wouldn't. Knowing as James teaches that a man... Who does not offend in his mouth is a perfect man. That there is life and death in our tongues. David prays for God to set a watch over his mouth. David knows that his mouth and the fountain of what is actually in his heart, the door of his lips hinges at his heart. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know what the Bible says? Out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. Sanctification of our mouth steers our whole life to change, as James also teaches. Remember when he says this, we put bits in the horse's mouth. And this big giant horse, this huge, massive, powerful animal, we put these little bits in its mouth. And all we gotta do is do this and do this. And the whole horse goes where we want. He said a gigantic ship has this little thing that just turns like this and this, and the whole ship is turned by the little thing. He said, did you know, your whole life turns on your mouth and the words that you say. Now, I would stop to emphasize that self-control from sheer willpower, from man-made laws or rules imposed on you by your family or your church cannot make this change happen. I'm not saying we shouldn't have rules. I'm not saying you shouldn't go, all right, kids, you can't say this. And if you say this, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. And I'm not saying you shouldn't wash their mouth out with soap. I'm just trying to tell you that you can wash their mouth out with soap. You can whoop them. You can do whatever you want. But unless their heart is changed, guess what? All you've done is by power of will and discipline and fear change some behavior. That is not sanctification. That is self-discipline, which results in self-righteousness. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have it. I'm trying to explain to you there are limitations. And often God uses getting our mouths washed out with soap and other consequences in our life to sanctify us. But I'm telling you, unless God does a work, it is not being done at all. If there had been a law given that could have given life to our mouth, to our tongue, to the rest of our body, then it would have come from the law that God gave. This is why he asked God to set a watch upon his mouth and the door of his lips. Sanctification is God's work in us, not our work for God. That's a t-shirt for you. Sanctification is God's work in us, not our work for God. When you find yourself hurting others with your mouth, telling lies, spreading gossip, speaking lewd or foul things, you know what you should do? Yeah, I hope you get flogged 40 lashes. I hope your mom washes your mouth out with soap. I hope she does. But what I hope you do is say, oh God, change my heart. Lord, I try to control myself and I can't. And Lord, I keep saying these things. I keep hurting my wife. I keep insulting my husband. I keep doing these horrible things. Oh God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be this. Save me, God, from who? From me. Sanctification is you being saved from you. Salvation is us being saved from God's judgment. Sanctification is when we are saved from us. What we got to do is give up our own efforts at righteousness and come in humility to God. And then He will work in us and live in us, setting a watch upon our mouths. True change is a work of the Holy Spirit, period. He uses moms and dads and husbands and church leaders. But it is Christ who comes in us that brings about the spiritual change. And I'll tell you something I have learned in my life. In fact, the more you rely on force of law, the less God w- does work. Because you know what? We begin to feel good about it. Look, at the, look how good this is. Look how good this looks. And what happens is we start feeling good about ourselves. And something begins to be born in us and our children that is ugly. That is why a church that is just governed by a bunch of rules to make people look holy can end up being the nastiest place in the world because they feel so good about themselves. They don't come to God in humility and say, change my heart. They go, look at me. I'm better than the world. Look at them. They're all a bunch of nasty, horrible, terrible, whatever. And we're a bunch of clean living, beautiful people. So what do we not do? We don't come humbly before God. We don't confess our sins because we don't think we got any. Look at them. Look how nasty they are. Look at all they want. Look at all that they do. And you know what you do? You turn into the Pharisees who are white, washed, Twofold children of hell. Verse 4: Incline not my heart to any evil thing. What's David saying? He's saying, God, I don't want to want to do these things. Which is what Jesus said. If a man wants to commit adultery, he's sinning, even if he doesn't. If a man wants, if he hates his brother, he's wanting to kill him. And even if he doesn't do it, it doesn't mean he's clean from that sin. David understands. Incline, my not, incline not my heart to any evil thing to practice wicked works with men that work iniquity. Let me not eat of their dainties. These guys, they get the reward of living bad by being dishonest, by taking advantage of others. And, and they live in, you know, uh, success and, and luxury. And those things become intoxicating. Oh, look, uh, God must be blessing me. Maybe what I'm doing isn't wrong. You see, we justify ourselves. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to us. Everyone is right in their own eyes. David understood that it was a matter of the heart. He prayed in Psalm 51, created me what a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit. Here he asked the Lord to incline not his heart to say or his heart to any evil thing. Lord, make me not want to sin. Make that the reason that I don't sin. When we are the reason for our own good living, we have pride because self-denial is a road to our own self-righteousness. Paul prayed that he would not be found. Philippians 3, he said, that I not be found in Christ having my own righteousness. I mean, wouldn't you think all God wants is just righteousness, joy? No, he doesn't. He wants righteousness, which is what? Which is of God by faith, righteousness that says, I'm not righteous. I'm not righteous when I give in the offering. I'm not righteous when I walk an old lady across the street. I'm not righteous when I do all these good deeds. If my heart isn't changed and I don't do it out of love for God and a desire and the new heart inside of me, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm not clean even though I think I am. It is a gift from God that comes by faith and a sanctifying work. We do not have to serve sin, but we will... We will until we realize we cannot conquer it and by faith, trust that Christ already has. This one's important. Verse five, let the righteous smite me. I mean, doesn't this kind of sound like an odd thing? Let the righteous smite me. What's David talking about? It shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It shall be excellent oil, which shall not break my head. Now, guys, what is he talking about? He's talking about how God uses people to sanctify us. Imagine if you prayed this about your mom and dad. Lord, would you have my mom and dad smite me? Would you have my mom and dad whoop me? Lord, would you have my elders reprove me? Uh... Yeah, it'll feel like I'm getting my head busted, but it's really going to be oil on my head. It's it's really going to be a kindness. What does the Bible say about this? Rebuke a wise man and he will be what? Yet wiser. Rebuke a fool and he does what? He hates you. Let the righteous smite me. It shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me. It shall be excellent oil. And it shall not break my head for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. David prays for God to use his godly friends and his family to help him, even if that means they smite him and reprove him. Proverbs says this, Faithful are the wounds of our friends. Proverbs tells us this. They hurt us sometimes because they love us. They're not willing to stand by and see us ruin our lives. David does not want to be a fool who hates the ones who love him enough to rebuke him. He wants to be the one who is wise, who loves those that reprove and rebuke him and encourage him to obey God's word and do what's right. If you run and hide from the people you know that are going to tell you to straighten up, you're a fool. If God's given you leaders and they speak to you and they, they try their best to humbly tell you what to do and you just go... Uh, I don't think so, Buster. Folks, let me tell you what. It's not that you're spurning the God-given authority that you have. You are shooting yourself in the foot. You are harming yourself. God gave us parents. God's given us a husband. God's given us elders. He gives us people in our lives who love us. And they come to you. This is love. Today, as we pray for sanctification, we should ask God to give our friends courage and love for us to help us. I'll tell you what, it takes a whole lot of love to know, you know what, I'm going to go talk to this person. Oh, dear God, I don't really want to. I'd really just rather play a game and eat a meal and ha ha ha, laugh it up. But I really can't. And you know what? It's going to ruin my Sunday and, and they probably won't like it. And, and they're going to think I'm being self-righteous and I don't really don't want to do it. Oh Lord. And you go, well, do I love them more than I love my own comfort? And people that love you more than they love their own comfort, they do it. They go, Hey buddy, I know I'm a sinner and I do wrong and I feel bad mentioning it to you, but this thing in your life it's going to hurt you, it's going to destroy you, it's going to mess with your family. F- get away from that thing and 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 you flinch inside and you go, yeah, okay, well. We should be encouraging people, hey, do that to me, please talk to me, please don't be afraid of that. I, I know I haven't received it well in the past, but please don't 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 stop doing that. We should live on a campaign of welcoming others into this place in our lives rather than shutting them out. Rebuke a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Let the righteous smite me, it shall be a kindness. Let him reprove me, it shall be excellent oil which shall not break my head for yet my prayer also shall be in their calamities. Let them be a blessing to me even if that means they hurt me. It's not going to kill me though it hurts. It will do me good like expensive oil. I will use my mouth and my lips to pray for the demise of the wicked. For God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. My lips won't be used to abuse the good men and women who love me enough to smite me. I will use them instead for prayer and praise. And I will pray that God destroys the the wicked and not me. This is sanctification not just from evil, everybody say, but for good. See, we, we, we don't want to do evil, but the deal is we sin when we don't do good. When David says, I'm going to praise and I'm going to pray and I'm going to do these good, he's saying, I don't just want to not do bad, I want to do good. Verse six, when their judges are overthrown in stony places, they shall hear my words for they are sweet. And this is David, uh, he knows that the, God will use the ungodly in his sanctification as well. Many times armies rose up against them and bad things, and he says, you know what, God's going to throw them over a cliff, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. When God is done using them to bring sanctification on me, he's going to deal with them, he's going to throw them off the cliff until they splatter like a watermelon off of a 50-story building on the concrete, splat! When God uses these, their judges are overthrown. He's going to throw them over the rocks, and then my words will be sweet words. Verse 7, there's a little bit of a a translation problem here, but it's just one word, so it's not much to get worried about. The translation, if you have it in your Bible, depending on what version you have, says our bones are scattered, but it should be their bones are scattered. If you look in the ESV and some of the other translations, they've already made that correction. Either way, but the the purpose here is our bones, not, or there shouldn't be ours, it should be theirs. Their bones are scattered at the grave's mouth as when one cutteth and cleaveth wood upon the earth. That's also another translation issue. It is actually the picture of a plow, a wooden plow in the earth, cleaving the earth, not you know, either way. But I mean, to me, a whole bunch of split wood looks like a bunch of bones. But what he's talking about is, you know, you know, when, when they would walk through uh, the desert in Israel, they, you know, and when you have a battle and 30,000 people get, you know, w- wiped out, uh, they don't stop and gather everybody up and dig a hole and put them in it. No, they just, they're out there. And so many times these people would go and they would walk through where there was a battle and what's everywhere. It says, scattered like like the, 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 you know, the, the dirt that comes up when you plow all over the ground, their bones are scattered. Why? Sometimes God wipes out entire armies. Remember when God uh, slew 70,000 of them in their sleep outside of Jerusalem as they were wanting to come in and destroy Israel? What do you think happened to them? You think they dug graves for them? or You think they let the vultures eat them and their bones just lay out there? They did. This is a continuation of Psalm 1. What does Psalm 1 say? This is what we should do if we're godly, but the ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away, they're like the grass that rises up and gets burnt by the sun and gets destroyed. That's them. God's going to deal with them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Verse 8 But my eyes are unto thee, O Lord, and in my trust. Leave not my soul desolate. We're not going to go into it all, but I'll mention it real quickly. You'll see he talks about his mouth. He talks about his lips. He talks about his head. He talks about his hands. And now he's talking about his eyes. He's talking about the things that he wants to be given to God, which of course is all of him. Sanctification is how God works on what we look at, on what we use our hands with, how we, what we say with our mouths. It is about an entire way that we live. The New Testament says our conversation is in heaven or our lifestyle. God is watching how we live right now. My eyes are under thee, O God. There is my trust. Leave not my soul destitute his mouth his lips his head his hands now he asks for God to sanctify his eyes he declares that his eyes are turned toward God to love he was asking for sanctification and now he's showing that God is doing it I look to you Lord oh let that be our prayer today we want our eyes upon our master like the slave looks upon his master So our souls should long and look for the direction and correction of God. Sanctification is progressive. It is ongoing throughout our lives. We are never done with this work as long as we live in these sinful bodies. And this wretched old man kicks around, rising up against us, keeping us from doing all our new heart truly wants to do. If it's the other way around for you, you want to do a lot of things but it is only shame and estrangement from your family and fear of consequences that keeps you from doing what you really want to do. You're not holy. You're self-righteous and you're still in your sins, but you can come to the Lord. You can say, God, I've built walls and bars and self-discipline and protected myself and hid and people think I'm one thing, but you know what I am, oh God. Your prayer today should be, God, change my heart. Make me holy for real. Don't despair if this is you. Come to Jesus today. Fall upon His mercy. Offer up this prayer. Set a watch upon my heart, O Lord. Set a door upon my lips. Use my hands and my head to praise you, Lord. Wash me and I will be clean. You may look around like that chin woman did and see others clean around you and you can see that you need cleansed yourself. And I would invite you again as I have already to look up to the great physician as that woman did to Dr. East and say, wash me too. This is what it means to have faith, to believe that God can do what we constantly fail at doing, which is saving and sanctifying ourselves. Keep me from the snares which they have laid for me and the gins of the workers of iniquity. Our prayers today as those who love God and His people is for God to keep us, to preserve us from the snares of the evil like we did last week in Psalm 140. We need to stay aware of their desire to destroy us and our sin leaves an open door. We want God to cleanse us so that door can be shut. Sanctification is praying for God to use us in the work, in the lives of those that God has given us in our marriages, our homes, and our church. And verse 10 says, Let the wicked fall into their own nets, while that I with all escape. Sanctification is praying and giving our enemies over to the Lord and asking God to save us. Let's stand. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us.